Hello everybody and welcome again to the Good Trash Genrecast, where we take a film studies approach to films that will never, I mean never, find their way into a film study syllabus. This month we've got a special theme of thank yous and love back to you, the dear listener, because you've given us so much love and given us so many listens over the month of February, so March is all about you. That's right. In March, we are having You Pick the Trash Month. We are letting the listener and any listener who chooses to submit movies, we will, we will do those movies for you and analyze them on the show. Even if that means bending the rules of what trash means a little bit. Yes, I did it. I killed Yvette. I hated her so much. It, it, the, it flamed, flames, flames on the side of my face. Now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. So what's your name, Icy? Stuntman Mike. Stuntman Mike's your name. You ask anybody. Hey, Warren. Who is this guy? Stuntman Mike. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Take this thing out of the case and stick it up your nose. Don't worry, it's self-guiding. But I know you don't want to be here forever. You know, I got things I want to do in my life. Wayne. You got red on you. Statistical fact. Cops will never pull over a man with a huge bomb in his car. Why? They fear this man. They know he sees farther than they. And he will bind them with ancient logics. This week's film, picked by Fran King as his listener pick, is V for Vendetta, which is a uh, fantastic story about how uh, one victim of the opera snatched a beautiful damsel down into his lair and uh, began to uh, teach her the beautiful uh, music that she could know herself. But enough about that. We're not going to spoil at this point. We are the Good Trash Honor Cast, and we are so glad to be here with you talking about those. Let's introduce the disembodied voices. To my right, sir, go. My name is Dalton Stewart, and by the power of truth, I, while living, have conquered the universe. To my left, sir, if you would. I am Arthur Gordon, and a revolution without dancing is a revolution not worth having. Indeed. Could not agree more. To the extreme left, ma'am, if you would. My name's Alexandra Bohannon, and, but again, truth be told, if you're looking for the guilty, you only need to look in a mirror. My name is Dustin Sells, and dear listener, we just want you to know that uh, people should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people, and that is the theme of this week's film, V for Vendetta. Again, we will avoid the spoilerific spoiler ages, but we find out how the young lady makes her way down into the dungeon and learns the music of the Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> Uh, 
but we will um, do that after our synopsis from The Voice of Cinema and our quick thumbs up and thumbs down reviews because this is not a review show. It's an analysis show, and that will be the bulk of the time that we spend with you all. Let's begin now with that synopsis from Voice of Cinema. Mr. Arthur Gordon, if you would, sir. In a future British tyranny, a shadowy freedom fighter known only by the alias of V plots to overthrow it with the help of a young woman. And the help of a pipe organ. It's very important, the pipe organ. Don't you think? <laughs> Is it? I agree. Vital. That's well, the music of the night. L- let us begin with our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. What say you, Mr. Gordon, sir? I don't know about this one. It's a solid movie, I guess. I, I don't know. I'm not sold on it, though. What? Go go on. Sorry. I got excited. <laughs> I'm excited to hear dissenting viewpoints because I think the in- internet has a collected opinion about this movie. So that, go that's on. That's fair. Gar- I nearly took my collection of knives out of my vest and stabbed you in the throat. So go ahead. This movie came out 10 years ago. This is the first time I've seen it. Wow. This is my first watch. Crazy. I, had I came to this movie 10 years ago, I probably would have enjoyed it. Uh, much like Fight Club, I think you have to come to this film at a certain time in your life. Um, I feel it's kind of forgettable. Uh, in a lot of ways, I uh, I don't know. I just <laughs> I don't. I mean, it's a good movie. I, I get that, but I just some stuff blew up, and he kills some people in some not so great flashy action sequences. Everyone's making this this face. I wish you guys could see it because the faces are what's making me. The giggle. action scenes are like literally ten percent of this movie. Not even that. They're like five. There's literally two action scenes in this movie. See, I forgot everything else. That's plays to my point. Interesting. There's an interesting mystery. It's a tale about. Okay, I'm sorry. Go on, Arthur. You monster. A lot of over, over zealous, heavy-handed imagery of a man coming out of a fire. Yeah, okay. that is pretty heavy-handed. All right, I'll give you um, that. It has some fun moments. I I laughed a few times. I like Stephen Fry a lot, and I was happy to see him here. Um, I enjoyed the uh, the Benny Hill sequence on. The oh, talk the show. show. That was pretty fantastic. Yeah. That's a lot of fun. Like I said, I, maybe I just came to this at the wrong time, but I'm not overly impressed in hindsight. And so I wasn't blown away. And so maybe I just came to it at the wrong time. I don't know. All right. Well, we we you know there that we will have mercy, unlike V. And so uh, oh. I uh, not I gi- tonight, Gordon. I give it a uh, six and a half copies of 1934's The Count of Monte Cristo out of eight point three. Hey, nice pull, sir. I love me some Robert Donat, so that makes me very happy. Well played, sir. Well, let's hear some um, proper reviews. Uh, Miss Alexander Bohannon, what say you? I like this movie. I remember seeing it close to when it came out. Uh, it kind of blew my conservative not world knowing little mind i don't think i'd ever seen a um lesbian or gay kiss before in media so i mean it was early high school for me when this movie came out um that's 10 years ago and now i feel old um the fact that it really did change a lot of viewpoints to me i can okay i can kind of see where arthur is coming from because i did watch this movie recently and I think he's right about having to come to it in a certain point of your life because it had a big impact on me because I was watching it and all this stuff really like blew my mind. It blew my mind really hard when, on the first viewing, the second viewing and everything. Um, but whenever I come back to this film now, 
um, having being a vastly different person than I was, it's still a very important film, but it doesn't do that same huge change uh, feeling theme. Like it doesn't feel as hard hitting to me anymore. Um, You're frowning. I was just disagreeing. That's all. I know. I know. I'm just saying it's fine. It's your opinion. You're allowed to have it. I know. It's just, it's still in, I would still say that it's an important movie. But it doesn't, like, there's still, like, a little piece missing now for me. Watch, rewatching it, because this is a film that I've actually seen it quite a few times. So, um, I do like all the action sequences, the, um, the overture, the 1892 overture. 1812. 12. Okay, I was going to say 12, but then I was like, it's 92, of course, because I'm wrong, and it's 12. Um, that was fantastic. I, I love that piece. It's wonderful. Uh, the cinematography, the the scenes. I've also read the graphic novels, uh, and, you know, so I, I fe- feel like this story, I've, I've, maybe it's just knowing the story too much. I don't know. Um, it's still a movie that I think people need to watch, though. I think it's important. Um and yeah, that's it. I'll give it four roses out of a possible six. Thank you very much, Mr. Alexander Bohannon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you in terms of review? What the fuck is wrong with you two? Now, I, I and I actually feel differently than Arthur. Uh, I haven't seen this movie in a while. Um, I probably watched it shortly after, if not in theaters, probably you know right during its initial home video release. Never bothered with it again. I thought it was fine. I mean, I, I was a, a budding, you know, um, politically interested person the first time I saw this. So I was like, yeah, cool. And then, you know, I probably watched it early middle college and was like, yeah, well, this is fine, I guess. Uh, but watching it in preparation for this episode, I was really taken aback by it in a way that I don't really ever recall being moved uh, by this film. The sequence where Evie is imprisoned not to get into spoiler territory um is heart-wrenching and moving and powerful and speaks to the importance of political action uh in a way that i don't that that a knife fight cannot it's one of the best second acts in film i think it's fantastic absolutely and i think uh, a lot of this film you know got kind of you know got okay it got fair to positive reviews when it was released and a lot of people said what arthur is saying is it's, you know, heavy-handed political message, you know, with some explosions and knife fights. And I think all those people turned their brains off because they don't like Natalie Portman because um, she was kind of in a weird place in her career when these films came out. You know, she's doing Star Wars movies, trying to prove she was a serious actress. And I don't think she was being taken very seriously. Um, and I think everybody turned their brain off during the second act, which is amazing, which is absolutely astonishingly good and is not heavy-handed politically. It is just a human story. That is powerful and moving. Uh, and yeah, Hugo Weaving is the tits in this movie. I mean, this is the best Hugo Weaving's ever been before or since. Um, he's absolutely fantastic. Uh, you know, both in his voice work that was dubbed over, uh, but also in his physical acting that he does. Yeah, political message of the movie is heavy-handed and it's fairly simplistic, and I'll talk about that some in my analysis. But, I mean, it's it's a message worth putting out there, especially at the time that this film came out. And, again, I will get into that in my analysis. Um, but it's just a, it's a very – it's a moving film. It's a powerful film. 
Uh, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I'm not going to act like those those two knife fight scenes aren't hella cool because they are. I mean, again, there's only three action beats in this whole movie, um, which, you know, considering it's a two-hour, 15-minute movie, um, the, you know, that's saying something. Um, much like the Wachowskis' Matrix, uh, now they just wrote this film. The head of their second unit on the Matrix trilogy or their assistant director on the Matrix trilogy. They're 80, yeah. Yeah, they're 80. Their assistant director on the Matrix trilogy, James McTeer, directed this film and they wrote it. Um, and it does kind of follow a similar arc to The Matrix uh, in that it's initial action sequence, world building, one tiny action beat, world building, world building, stakes building, emotion building, character building, final action set piece resolution. Uh, it is very similar to that first Matrix film in terms of how the plot is laid out. Um, but again, there's not a lot of action in this film considering it's billed as an action movie. The largest part of the part of the plot is the mystery of the detectives and them trying to figure out who V is and why he's doing what he's doing, um, which I, f- I find really interesting and intriguing and, and, and V's his vendetta against the um, the individuals, not just the system, I find very interesting. And the intrigue with uh, John Hurt's character, um, uh, Stadler, Sattler, uh, and his, you know, secret police, uh, head of secret police, Creedy. I mean, I think that's all great. I, I guess I get what you guys are saying. And, again, I, I think the political sections of this film have been much – there's been much to do. And it's really a, a fairly simple message that doesn't really say – anything that interesting um but for people hearing it for the first time it's an important message and it's i find it to be inspirational in, in, in a way and again i'm, I'm going to talk about all this stuff in my analysis so i don't want to get into it too much here uh but to me removing all of that removing aside the the popular cultural and pop cultural impact this film has had um and the quasi you know put couch potato revolutionaries that's inspired it's just a damn good movie and it's moving, and it is affecting, and it is reminding you how important it is that we do something of value. Well, Dustin, um, be on the side of truth and goodness with me. Let's talk about V for Vendetta. What I want to say about V for Vendetta is that it is a high watermark for good trash. Now, it is absolutely propaganda. And honestly, all, Most deaf. It's, it's, all good trash is yeah. propaganda. It's American liberalism propaganda. Well, I would well not neoliberalism, um, but it, it, it's something else, and it, Moore's Britishness. I don't know. It's, I think it's, a, it's an odd mix there. And, and Moore is opposed to the message of this film when he read the screenplay. Oh, okay. Well, you yeah. know, I, I don't find it that. And we'll t- I'll, t- I'll talk about that. But okay, that's fair. Whatever on 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 that. But what I want to say is that so often, you know, propaganda piece, and I love propaganda piece. I, I mean, I think Triumph of the Will is a triumph, even though it's Goebbels and it's, you know, fascist Nazi Germany. I I think it's a really, really brilliant film in that the message is simple. It's trying to get a very, very distinct idea across, and it does so via narrative. And it's one of the rare times when something, I think, mostly subversive, you know, is being communicated. And for, for, for my money, that makes it immensely watchable, immensely valuable, that you would say something else and something different. I think Natalie Portman puts on a bravado performance, and it has nothing to do with her letting her have her head shaved. No. Which, you know, people always talk about how brave it is to have your head shaved, and that's baloney. That's baloney. Anyone can do that. If Shit grows back. $20 pair of clippers. <laughs> Correct. And so I, I, but, but that's not what's great about her performance. It's everything else. Yes. She is so solid. She is 
so fantastic. The supporting cast never miss, misses a beat, mm-hmm. even when they need to be cartoony. And that, that again, that's sort of the point that they do so. And the ideas that are going on throughout the film still have contemporary resonances. This has nothing to do with my analysis nor any of that of my co-hosts. But I could not watch this movie without thinking about Edward Snowden. And uh, it's yeah. it, it, it's absolutely prescient. It's absolutely valuable, and it's very well made. The structure is is, is super exciting. Yeah, it's a little over two hours, but it is is exciting the whole way. I'm never bored. There's enough action to sort of mix up the uh, the character moments and the drama. The, the drama. And those moments, I think, are all completely valuable. I, I really, really love this movie. Now, now, had you seen it before? I have. Now, what yeah. I want to say is this, though: it's 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 lowbrow art. It's it's not the greatest films of all time. No, it's, absolutely it, not. It, it's not you know something that makes my top ten, my top fifty, my top one hundred, my top two hundred probably. It, it, it's it's not that kind of movie, but it is fantastic for what it is. Yeah. A blockbuster summer film. With major uh, talent behind it, with Wachowskis, with Hugo Weaving, with Natalie Portman, it does all those you know tick boxes that need to be ticked in order to create this sort of based on a comic book, based on a comic book, and it is this brilliantly subversive piece of propaganda. Uh, especially the fact that it exists, especially when you consider that it came out in two thousand and six, which was you know this is you know the heavy marketing being late oh five into early two thousand six when this was released. This is subversive shit uh, where we were at that point in, in the country. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I, I think it's it's an absolute it, – it, for what it is, I'm going to use the word masterpiece, but I'm not saying like a Godard masterpiece. I'm not even talking like a you know Dan Aronofsky or even the masterpiece that I think The Matrix is. It is it's a different level. It's a different sort. But for what it is, I think it really is a masterpiece. And so, for my money, you know, and then the, my, this affects my rating. So, it wouldn't get the same sort of rating next to Blue is the Warmest Color, which we reviewed recently, or Casablanca, or something like that. But uh, for my money, it's it's going to get, you know, five out of five throwing knives. Um, it's, it's just that much Oh, fun. I'm sorry. I forgot to... I'm Yeah, no, I give it seven and three-quarter V letter V-laden soliloquies out of a possible ten. Yeah. I think it's very good. All right, well, there you go, dear listener. Now you sort of know where we're coming from and what we're saying. And I think, really, to, for the most part, we are sort of saying the same thing. You know, I, yeah. I, I, th- I think what I'm saying when I sort of caveat it for what it is by rating it so highly is the same thing they're saying by hold, um, they being Alex and Arthur by holding it up to a much higher standard. And I, I think, really, when it comes right down to it, we're all in the same place. Totally. Just a matter of taste. Exactly. Well, let's do what we're here to do, dear listener. Let's bring some analysis. What say you, Arthur Gordon? In his essay, Not Flag-Waving but Flag-Drowning or Postcards from Post-Britain, William Brown goes into discourse in what he deems a post-British cinema. Brown tries to nail down a shift in the cinematic styles and messages of a post-9-11 British cinema. He highlights V for Vendetta, Children of Men, and 28 Days Later, as well as a number of other mid-2000s films to help drive this point home. Now, it doesn't take much from the author to convince us of the Britishness of most of these films. However... Early in the article, Brown takes a moment to place an insert highlighting V in its place in British cinema. Raising questions of the film's stance as a British film, Brown goes to great lengths to defend the film as British. However, after having seen the film, I don't think I can accept his claims. Brown makes several concessions early in his article. V is helmed by an Australian with an Australian and American in the lead roles. The film is financed by Hollywood and Germany. Brown thus argues that the Britishness of the film comes solely from its setting and its crew, which is British. 
Thus, from a production standpoint, the film comes across as something of a Hollywood film in its finished form uh, with the co-production values and things of that nature. I think that's completely fair. Yeah, its Britishness is definitely in doubt. Brown also argues that the supporting cast is made up of a collection of strong British and Irish actors, primarily in the form of John Hurt. However, I feel that John Hurt is here for a reason other than his heritage. I think it's more of an intertextual reference to Hurt's role as the protagonist in the adaptation of Orwell's 1984. The only concession to the cast that I will give Brown's argument is Stephen Fry. Due to his role and identity on British TV and in film, uh, the ever-present BAFTA host brings a very distinct British identity to the film, and he may be the sole source of the film's British identity. Yeah, I would agree with that. Brown's major argument is that, quote, the film's political message applies equally to a contemporary Britain uh, that is ripe for change, end quote. Now, Moore's original graphic novel was ripe with commentary on Thatcher-era British politics and had a very British purpose in regards to politics. However, what the film adaptation does is more himself recognized, as many film critics recognize, and what Brown concedes yet dismisses is that the film takes a very anti-Bush political message in light of the White House's grasp following 9-11. And doing so, the film uh, it gives the film an even stronger American identity as a film. Now, if we were to compare this with other entries in British sci-fi at the time of V's production, uh, we will see a stark contrast in style and production. Uh, Both 28 Days and Children of Men question more British ideals than V, while also presenting a more realistic style. Both keep British men in the leads, as well as having supporting British cast. Uh, 28 Days Later is even uh, helmed by the British Danny Boyle, who had made a name with the British dark comedies in the 90s. Uh, Both of these films further a strong cinematic British identity outside of just the setting. Uh, Children of Men's reliance on Quaron's long take uh, to tell its story also strengthens its realism, a trait common to British dystopian film at the time. While I can accept that the themes of the film are applicable to all people, certainly any country that has a governing body of any kind, uh, the film's identity is not British. I don't think there's enough strength to promote that, even though the images images within the mise-en-scene don't give it that strength. I don't really think of this film as a British film. I mean, the, it seems like it's almost like its own setting. You know, it doesn't ever feel... I mean, you get the landmarks, and but that seems more of like, oh, this is just a film that's it's set here. It, it just seems hyper-fictionalized. It could have been anywhere with any really cool-looking buildings and yeah. clocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more of a steampunk type of feel. Yeah, it it feels more like a steampunk alt-universe more than this is supposed to be a real place. Alrighty, thank you very much for that analysis, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you in terms of analysis? Well, I want to talk about something that Arthur touched on a little bit with his uh, commentary on uh, Mr. Brown's article. and So I'm going to talk about adaptation theory, which is something, yeah, that I, I don't typically do, but I do happen to have read the graphic novel that this is based on. I've seen the film. Um, so I want to talk about that. And I've read a lot of, you know, think pieces about the differences here. Uh, so for those of you who, who aren't aware, Alan Moore's um, original graphic novel, V for Vendetta, which was serialized in a now defunct British publication, uh, and then DC published it, uh, and Moore finished it. It wasn't finished uh, originally when it was uh, being serialized, and DC picked it up to be finished. Uh, and it is much more focused on, one, it is very British, and two, it is not quite the film that we see in that what v is advocating uh in this film is is freedom really freedom at uh, all costs whereas in the comic it's anarchy it's it's straight up anarchy Uh, and this is much more kind of a democratic you know freedom that seems to be being advocated you know a, a, a a government that is afraid of its people and listens to its people and is legislated by the people whereas 
in the comic, V is trying to start an, an anarchist revolution. Um, now, I, I think that's prescient because I think that is a lot of why this film has had a lot of staying power. I mean, almost 10 years out from its initial release at this point, it is still a huge deal, and I, I know Alex is going to talk about that, um, and it's really stuck with people, because V is much more likable and relatable in this film than he is. Uh, in the comic, he's... I mean, we get a little bit of this in the film, uh, that he's somewhat unbalanced. In the comic, he's pretty much a crazy person. Uh, I mean, and there's really no getting around it. He's he's definitely bonkers. Are you like a crazy person? I'm quite sure they will say so. And, and, and to me, I think that's part of the strength of the film. The comic, while having a much more interesting, uh, much more nuanced and complicated message, which is, yeah, fascism's not a good thing, but how much better is anarchy? Um, and asking you to kind of weigh and contrast those things. The fascists... Um, you know, the leaders of uh, Norse Fire, which is the political party in the film. Um, in the, the film are much more, you know, cartoonish and villainous. I mean, there's kind of the, the Reichstag thing where they this rise to power is caused by a, a hoax, essentially, by an uh, inside job, if you will. Whereas in the comic, you know, they were democratically elected, you know, into power, and it just kind of happened. Um, and we, through apathy, we the people through apathy, allowed this fascist government to take over. Whereas in the film, there's a lot of backstabbing. So yes, the, the comic is much more complicated and asks you weightier questions. Where the film is just reminding you that it is important to be involved in the political process, that it is important to question government, that it is important to be wary of power, uh, and, and that it is important as people to communicate, to organize, and to be afraid of our... and to make sure we are not afraid of the government, that the government is afraid of us. And I think that is why the film has had this power, that it has motivated a lot of young people, you know, from 2005 and onwards, to through 2006 onwards, rather, I should say, uh, to be more politically active, to be more motivated. And I think that's why uh, the Guy Fawkes mask, despite the fact that Guy Fawkes was a religious terrorist, I want to remind everyone that since we're talking about this film... The man was a Catholic terrorist. To be fair, suffering under some, sort of immense religious persecution in Protestant England at the time, though. Absolutely, but also wanted to install a Catholic monarchy. Yes, yeah. which he, is he a, sort it. of a bad result, yes. yes. Yes, they were suffering under immense persecution, but also the end goal was to install a Catholic <laughs> dictatorship. Which would have been bad. Yeah, I mean, doesn't the fact that he uses... V, using Guy Fawkes as a symbol, I mean, that doesn't... That speak to his own you know, stability as a person. I mean, con considering it's like, oh, who are we going to pick as this, as my symbol of the revolution? He picks a guy that is uh, completely 100% uncompromising in his point of view. At no cost, no cost is too great as long as I get the result I want. And that's and that's the point, uh, and that's why they use him. It's, it's not, you know, I just want to remind everyone that, you know, if you're really into that V for Vendetta stylized guy fox mask remember that that you know it has its roots in a religious terrorist i uh, just feel like that's worth mentioning here in the novel and in the film uh particularly the novel it's used to be for the britishness honestly i think whereas in the film it's you know meant to give british flavor but it's also yes the idea of a person who's uncompromising uh and unrelenting in his desire to affect change uh in the in the nation um so all of and, and again the article by Brown that Arthur uh, discussed uh, touched on this. Um, by that change, 
by being a multinational production, uh, but mostly American in financing and writing, uh, especially. The film becomes much more a commentary on, you know, neoconservatism in the United States circa 2005, 2006, 2004, when they probably started writing this. Um, and, and I think that is why it's so prescient, because the eyes were on the West at, in those early days of the 21st century, you know, in the wake of 9-11, in the wake of the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan. The eyes were on the U.S., and with the introduction of the Patriot Act, all eyes were on us. Um, so this film has, you know, there's plenty of articles talking about how during, you know, the the Arab Spring, uh, a lot of, you know, protesters in Egypt were wearing uh, Guy Fox masks and were watching the film and talking about it. Uh, I mean, so the film has had a, you know, international impact because it is talking about George Bush's presidency in a lot of ways. I have been to a Guy Fox Day protest. So, yeah, I definitely, I mean, and that was not but a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And they were all wearing... Many of them were, yes. Yeah. The novel comes out at a perfect time because it is that commentary on, you know, the the UK under Thatcher, Thatcherian rule, uh, under Margaret Thatcher. Uh, and then it gets, in a lot of ways, supplanted for a U.S. commentary. To me, that adds to its universality um, because, as I've, you know, said... People were watching the U.S. when this was happening because we decided we were going to be the world police. Um, And everybody was looking and seeing what we were doing with kind of a sideways glance. And I find that very interesting. And I I like this film so much because V is not as complicated as he is in the novel. We are taking a thing that we know to happen, untoward government advances on our civil liberties, and saying, that's not good, and casting Hugo Weaving in this, just remarkably casting him, and he came in late into the production. They'd already cast uh, somebody who I can't recall off the top of my head. I think James Perfroy, maybe? Um, but Hugo Weaving gives this performance that is so lovable uh, and likable and inspirational in a lot of ways, and what he says is very moving and thought-provoking. And through making those changes from the graphic novel, I think that is what has allowed this film to become so popular and to become so moving and motivational for so many people is that not a lot of people follow British politics uh, that aren't British, um, whereas because of America's role in the the international war on terror, people were watching America. And by making this a commentary on American politics at that time, it's become more universal. And by watering down V to some extent has made that figure less problematic and has made that figure more inspirational. And I, I just think that's interesting. Uh, Moore can have a, a wad in his panties all day about how this, you know, isn't his comic book. And you're right, it's not. But honestly, it's probably a lot... It's more... It leads with the heart, whereas his comic book leads with the head. And I think leading with the heart is what has allowed this film to have the impact it's had. I think it's a completely fair analysis, Dalton Stewart. Thank you very much for that. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what say you in terms of analysis? Well, for me, I really wanted to build off of what Dalton was going to say because I kind of understood um, what his viewpoints were on this. And go into some of the cultural implications of this film. Because when I watched this for the first time, obviously there was not a large movement about these issues. Nobody was wearing Guy Fox masks. Anonymous had not yet picked Guy Fo- using the Guy Fox mask as their symbol for their movement. And 
this movie, I believe, completely made that their thing. And I, I just wanted to touch on the fact that there is a lot of a lot of issues that stem from this movie and some of them are good, like encouraging more people to be more engaged. Um, but some of them are bad, like becoming engaged in maybe not the most productive or effective way. I read that quote at the beginning, which, um, I found on IMDb and I read it because not, wasn't like, oh, gee, this is the quote that speaks to me. I I read the quote of, but again, truth be told, if you're looking for the guilty, you only need to look in a mirror because I feel like a lot of of that banner use of the Guy Fawkes imagery is using that imagery to justify that, that anarchic thinking without going through existing political systems Mm -hmm. and existing establishments to create the change they want. Um, I, I know that that is, you know, Snowden is an example of how hacktivism is valid and we need to have people that are these revolutionaries that, that do some of these things. But I also feel like it is like all movements, it is used to justify actions that it is not intended to cover. In, instead of funneling energies through doing this type of, uh, this form of cyber terrorism. I'm in a risk class and that's what my policy topic is, is, is using, is cyber terrorism. Um, instead of using that to justify these actions, I don't, I don't know. I just kind of want to lend a critique to why does it always have to be so revolutionary all the time you know what i mean like why can we not revolution for its own sake when there are effective and useful means through established channels to affect change is what you're saying i think yes (laughs) i'm still listening i'm one who's persuaded by the notion of permanent revolution but go ahead i am too but what i think alex is saying is people are hiding behind the idea of revolution when really they're just being dicks Oh well, then yeah, douchey. Yeah, I agree. I, I th- yeah. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, I think? in like to, to, couch to... potato activism. Yeah, you know? I mean, you can sit and you know you can leak a lot of documents, and that's mm-hmm. super important. Or you could hack the KKK's Twitter or whatever. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's just that 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 is that is hiding behind this this mask. I mean, I've seen those protests at the Capitol where everyone's wearing Guy Fox masks and um, it's, what does it actually do? It scares a bunch of people, I guess, but um, I guess scare it's the tactics. Idea of, of using an established symbol, but again, yeah, that's, you know, I, I just want to critique the usage of that imagery, that imagery as the revolutionary symbol and, and, question the mentality from of people who use it and use it irresponsibly because mm-hmm. there is responsible usage of that symbol. Having been at a Guy Fawkes Day protest, which was sort of motivated by Snowden, in which uh, I think most everyone that was there were seeing 
our government behaving in ways much like this sort of faux British government. Oh, of totally. The film. I agree. And, you know, I get that. But I, th- I think you're totally right. And, and I think, oh, man, there were a lot of hoodlums that were not there for mm-hmm. useful purposes at all. And, it, and I, think you're, I think you're right on there. I mean, every revolution can be, can be corrupted. I know that, you know, to tie it back to more recent events, like the, the riots in Ferguson, the riots had purpose but there were people going to Ferguson with the sole purpose of looting. Like there were people that came in from surrounding areas just to loot the town and break windows and def- and deface property. Like the riots had a place hiding but, behind the revolution for but personal people hide gain. around hide behind the re- revolution for personal gain. Just um, purely selfish reasons. Selfish Hello, reasons Joseph Stalin. Dick. I don't know. Just like get off on the idea of. You know, look, I'm making these people hurt in some way. And I actually read some very interesting commentary from a member of Anonymous who was saying, I don't understand why we are using the Guy Fox mask as a symbol. Religious you, terrorist. Well, not even just for that reason. He, I think that was brought up. But it, another issue he discussed was, you realize that, okay, you go to the store, you buy a Guy Fox mask. Where does your money go? It goes to the WB. It goes to a corporation. Yes. It goes that, to Warner Brother who, Brothers who, who owns turns that, out that stylized mask. Yeah, exactly. That turns out more of this propaganda, more of this opiate of entertainment. Why are you doing this like this? And, and I felt like that was a really great question to be asked. It's like, why are we using this symbol um, to to be the face the face of our of our revolution whenever we're just lining the pockets of you know fat cats in hollywood who produces yeah. produces a drug um mm-hmm. that induces it's know, questionable for care- sure carelessness in the masses you know all right well uh dustin i will we'll close with you as we typically do what are your thoughts your analysis for v for vendetta well, I want to think about the political usefulness of the methodology in V for Vendetta. Violence. Which, which is violence, yeah. And, um, you know, for those, I mean, I'm very interested in the use of violence and its political, um, you know, effability. Mm-hmm. Well, and, V even says, from, you know, from the, the horse's mouth, violence can be used for good. Uh, yeah, that's, that's what he suggests. And, of course, I mean, in terms of my own understandings, you know, and the civil rights movement are, are, is a thing I care about very much. This movie is very much more Malcolm than it is Martin uh, in terms of, of that movement and the use of violence. And what I want to suggest is that though I find V's subversive nature to be very interesting, helpful, and useful as a piece of art – as a sort of political methodology, I find it to be mostly useless. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think it's going to be all that effective because what violence does is it polarizes and it prevents folks from being able to accomplish anything to really make any real change. One well, lionizes the other side. Absolutely, and you know they use the word terrorist over and over and over again to describe V, and that's exactly what would happen. And the thing is, is that this sort of London. You know, Greater England uh, circling around and uh, solidarity with V and his message, it simply would not have happened. If the old Bailey had been blown up, what would indeed happen is um, people would have been polarized. There would have been a handful of janitors that were killed at the time of day in which it happened, and they would have said, This is terrible, not on our watch, not our country. And the, the whole country would be wrapped in the Union Jack, 
and do everything they can to fight against V and those of his ilk. Or their new scary fascist flag, as it were. Well, yeah, exactly. And and and, and so that's the sort of thing that typically tends to occur. And you know, I, I think a lot about you know exacting real change because in in the end, Malcolm did not win the civil rights movement. Martin did. Um, peaceful protest, and what needs to happen in a case of a movie like V for Vendetta, which would have made it more interesting, is not so much to oppose what's happening, and again, I think the whole secret that's discovered by the detectives is never brought to light. Nobody ever knows what's going on. Everyone's sort of suspicious of their government, their government's sort of lying to them, and how is that different from any country on the world in the world at all at this point? I would say not at all. And we're all suspicious of our governments. We all figure they're lying to us on various and sundry levels. That being said, what would happen when an act of violence, an act of terrorism would occur is it would prevent any real revolution from taking place. What would happen again as the old Bailey's blown up is people would get behind the government to stop that sort of thing from happening because people are more interested in peace and safety. What needs to happen rather in a film like V for Vendetta and in actual proper political movement and activism is not to uh, act out in violence, to repay violence for violence, but um, to repay evil for evil, as a wise man once said, but rather to repay evil with good and then to force evil to do what it does in the dark, in the light, as is the line from the movie Selma. Um, what needed to happen was uh, there needed to be demonstrations in such a way that the government would be forced to do what they do to homosexuals, to uh, to Muslims to others who are sort of outside of the norms to force them to see that and force it to be so public that some difference, uh, some change had to happen. The reason why Selma worked is not because there was a protest against what was happening. The reason why Selma worked is because there were pictures of guys shooting tear gas and beating African Americans with batons. That somebody has to take the violence upon themselves in order for that to happen. Not to carry out an assassination, which is V's which is V's case, mm -hmm. but rather to allow himself to suffer. And I think much about the situation in Palestine right now, which is the exact uh, analog to the situation of these British citizens in V for Vendetta, and specifically in Gaza, where they live in an open-air uh, prison camp. Mm -hmm. And they're not allowed to travel back and forth. And what's going on politically right now is Hamas and other groups are trying to enact sort of uh, actions of terror, actions of violence. And what's being repaid with that is greater and greater violence. We're getting further and further and further away from a, a two-state solution, which I don't think is effective anyway. I think a single-state, secular-state solution is the only way to work. But that's a whole other conversation. But what needs to happen is that which is not seen, the the daycares and hospitals that are being bombed right now in response to acts of terrorism are not going to get the sort of coverage. What needs to happen is a thousand people, like the last scene of V for Vendetta, need to show up and get beat up. And that's what I was just about to say. I think it is important to note uh, that most of the violence that V carries out is for his own personal ends. Yes. The actual political movement is peaceful. Yeah, well, I mean, again, uh, with the, the exception of the destruction of property, uh, we can assume that the you know Parliament's been cleared out because we've known about the potential terror attack for a year. But the old Bailey certainly has not. Well, we don't know that. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna say janitors died. There's a pretty good chance. Yeah, but uh, just like on the uh, Death Star, you know, they knew what they were getting themselves into. But my my point is, I, I think it is important to note that the the people's revolution is peaceful. V's okay. mission, personal mission, is violent. The people's revolution is peaceful. They walk 
through the crowd of soldiers. But but the again the uh, the revolution itself is waged in terms of vengeance, in waged yes. in terms of a vendetta, of a vendetta, yeah, and, and of a again, personal vendetta. And no as, less. as Gandhi, another peaceful revolutionary, once said, "An eye for an eye will end up leaving the whole world blind." And that's exactly what'll happen. It'll be tit for tat, tit for tat, tit for tat, and there's never going to be an end to that sort of thing. What needs to happen is people in Palestine need to see V for vendetta and then reject V's methodology and say, "Absolutely, we live in that sort of corrupt state." And then the way that we protest that is that we all stand at the borders and we try to cross with all the cameras there and people die people suffer but they don't retaliate for that and then the world begins to change behind them the reason why we've had sort of the social and civil changes in terms of gay rights in terms of uh, interracial rights in terms of African American rights in this country is not because of buildings being blown up is not in terms of what happens when the Black Panther Party does what the Black Panther Party does or people who followed Malcolm X did what Malcolm X would suggest they would do what happened what was successful is when people stood there and they took it and again Again, it cost. It was a, there was a cost in human life, but the fact of the matter is, the costs in human life are already happening. It's not an it's not a request for additional sacrifice. What it is a request for is for public sacrifice and to force media to see what is happening and to to make the truth of what is done in the dark undeniable. And that is what indeed makes governments afraid of their citizens is when they can no longer do what they do in secret. These uh, right in what suggests what he's wrong at is how he brings that to light because he fails in every way to bring it to light. What Edward Snowden and Chelsea Manning do correctly is they bring to light the sort of oppression, the sort of uh, fascist tendencies in governance. And when I when I look at a film like V for Vendetta, you know, I'm very, very happy to see this sort of army of V's, which is what, part of what I was suggesting when I was talking about Moon last week, is that that's what you want to see, is like all the people rise up and say this is what needs to happen. But the fact of the matter is it wouldn't have worked in the way the film depicts, is that everyone shows up and some folk go to jail and some folks get beat up and some folks die. When that happens... I think real change begins to be enacted because then there is uh, the warfare of public opinion. And in the, in the world in which we live right now, where democracy, even in countries that don't have democracy, and we live in the world of the Arab Spring, when we live in this sort of world in which social media and, again, sort of the more general old media are, are so valuable and so important, when we act in that way, that's when real change begins to happen. That's when real uh, acknowledgement of the situation as it is, again, bringing, forcing those who do things in the dark to do them in the light. That's when uh, real transitions begin to occur. And so I find that to be a real weakness in the film as far as political methodology. I think what it says, you know, as far as live and let live, as far as homosexuals live and let live, as far as Muslims go, I think it's absolutely right on. But the way to win it for them is not to enact further violence because now the champion of those people is a dangerous human being. What needs to happen is we need to prove that the government and the systems and the institutions of a nation are in fact that which is dangerous to um, peaceful, participatory citizens. When we do that sort of thing, then we, we then we enact something. I think it's more effective and more helpful. Um, symbolic acts of violence still um, fail to make any change. I, I turn your attention in, in the United States to the uh, to the weathermen. Uh, again, what effective change did they they bring about? Nothing at all, other than everyone was very very scared of them. 
But, th- I mean, that's, again, what I want to say in terms of analysis of the film, is that it's suggesting a methodology that's utterly ineffective. And I think, to back to Alex's point, the the, uh, the the adoption of the Guy Fox mask and sort of just standing there and being those people, uh, because it's not in a situation where there's a real protest about a real specific issue. Because of those circumstances, it fails, again, to bring to light that which happens in the dark. And that's why they're generally ineffective. Well, thank you very much, dear co-host, for all of that excellent analysis. Uh, let's move on to the point at which we make a verdict when we say shelf or trash, else or instead. I'm going to start with you again, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What say you, sir? I would say this is a movie that's actually on my shelf as a collector. I think it's just one of those things that you have. Mm-hmm. And so it is definitely on my shelf. I would suggest that the dear listener exercise their freedom uh, of living to go out and formulate their own opinion about this film. Oh, nice. And Shazam. so go out and do it because apparently only one out of every four people has any questions about the awesomeness of how good this movie is. And so wait, I suggest... I thought I... Wait, I thought that would be two out of every four. Two out of every four people <laughs> uh, question the awesomeness of this film. Uh, I question his awesomeness. I just decided it was awesome. I think there are certainly people who think it's awesome for the wrong reasons. Yes. That's probably that. fair. Yeah. That's I think it's fair. awesome for the right reasons because i got I'm, a cool mask. Shoot. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> knife. Knife. Foo. Cool. Cool. Fascism is blowing up. Fascism is bad. She's hot. Okay. Kisses. She, she is hot. <laughs> All but, of them are hot. But uh, what, what would your Elser instead picks be? I would say... Uh, for Bush-centric commentaries from the late 2000s, I'd say you watch this with Dark Knight. Uh, and for oh. the second week in a row, we watch Avatar. Also cut straight through the curtain and watch Oliver Stone's W. Uh, finally, this would pair really well with O2's The Count of Monte Cristo, starring Jim Caviezel and Guy Pearce. Oh, uh, and that's Lu- a classic. And Louise Guzman. But that's what I got for you. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what do you say? Shelf or trash? Else or instead? Shelf. I mean, if I had... It, this is has too much cultural implications and implications for people as individuals in a a participatory governmental system for no one to not watch this. This movie needs to be watched by people. Just because I don't connect with it on some visceral level anymore doesn't mean people shouldn't watch this movie. Okay, so what you should pair this movie with, I'm going to make you read books. I like books. Books are cool. Butterfly in the sky, I can go twice as high. Take a look, it's in a book, a reading rainbow. I can go anywhere. Friends to know and ways to grow, a reading rainbow. I would say that you should read 1984 as well as watch the the John Hurt movie, and then you could watch V for Vendetta. Because I've I haven't done it yet, but I've been wanting to do the 1984, then watch V for a really long time, just because I love that transitioning into Big Brother, like you know, not really real plot line, but kind of maybe real plot line. There is a fantastic panel in the comics where every surveillance camera has a sign by it that says, for your protection. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So I would definitely do that. I, um, 1984 is something that really changed my senior year when we read it in school. And, um, God, I, I cried throughout the entire part three, just that interrogation, 
sequence. Oh my goodness. Um, so that, and um, to also pair it with 1984 and V for Vendetta, you should also read the graphic novel if you want to get on a reading bend with um, anti-utopian uh, novels and work. You could read the graphic novel as well as read A Brave New World, which is the other flip side of the coin. We in these two pieces, we see the totalitarian anti-fun <laughs> governments. But what happens, A Brave New World questions what happens whenever you inundate a society with too much pleasure. Huxley asks those questions. It's some, some parts of it are hard to read just because of like the, not because the prose is bad, but just because it's so intense, especially like the conditioning sequences at the beginning of the novel. It was really hard to get through for me, but they are, I think these are just required life reading for anyone that wants to participate in their government and know why maybe the government's not looking out for them and in, and doing things in their best interest all the time. Definitely check all those out. Thank you very much, Miss Alexandra Bohannon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? Shelf or trash? Else or instead? I don't really think you need to shelf this one. Um, I didn't buy it uh, to do the show. I think it's very good, uh, and I like it a whole, whole lot. I just, I don't know. I think there are better movies. I, I'm just, you know, in a world of infinite cinema, I, I feel like we've all been, but particularly I, have been a, a little bit too generous with the shelving lately. Um, and I and I think of a world of, you know, thousands upon thousands of films. There are better action films. There are better political films. Uh, there are better films featuring uh, Natalie Portman and Hugo Weaving. That said, if you do happen to have access to it, you should definitely watch it. Uh, I certainly think you should do that. But as somebody who is very choosy on what I own and what I spend money on, um, I don't think you necessarily need to own it. To watch with it, um, streaming on Netflix right now, you can check out Snowpiercer, Ooh. which is another film about glorious revolution featuring John Hurt uh, in a supporting role, uh, and a much different supporting role. Uh, and also, the beautiful Chris Evans is there doing all kinds of cool things. Um, so you should check that out. Uh, I also think you should check out uh, James uh, McTee's follow-up to V for Vendetta, the wonderfully bad ninja assassin. That movie's fun. That movie is a blast. It is not good, but it's a whole heck of a lot of fun. If you like the way the action scenes in V for Vendetta are shot, you get like 90 minutes of that Ninja Assassin. So go check that out. And it basically has the same plot. There's like a tertiary character who's doing some sort of investigation, um, and that's like the audience surrogate character is doing some sort of investigation while the main guy is kicking all kinds of ass. It's a lot of fun. Uh, you should watch it. It's definitely not as good as V for Vendetta, but it's 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 fun. Mr. Sells, uh, what, I, I'm guessing you're going to shelf this one, so I'm much more interested to hear what you want to pair with it. Well, I've already shelved it, and I think it's absolutely valuable. I think, again, it, it is it is the top echelons of lowbrow blockbuster cinema. I, I think it's totally worth your time. It's totally worth owning. I think everyone needs to see this film more than once. And uh, that's why I would go ahead and say shelf for this particular selection. Uh, my Elsa's uh, include Snowpiercer. Uh, I, I appreciate that selection. Also, uh, Terry Gilliam's Brazil, I think, is definitely, definitely worth your time. And, uh, you know, in, in terms of just uh, revolutionary incitement from the Wachowskis, I already recommended it last week, but you need to see The Matrix uh, again and again and after that again. 
Uh, I think it's suggesting all the same sort of ideas, and it does so maybe in a more clear, cogent, and uh, interesting sort of way. And it is a war of ideas uh, in both places. Um, it, when we're talking about computer coding, we are talking about ideas. The violence itself is coded in a way that is not actually violence. And uh, even though there's violence that's being perpetrated against those who are without power, those who have less strength. And I do find that to be quite fascinating. Uh, it does get problematic towards the second and third installments. But nonetheless, I, I think it's definitely worth your time. And it's a film I like very, very much. But enough of this stuff. Let's move on to where you can continue and participate in the conversation via that magical means we all know as social media. Mr. Arthur Gordon, do you know anything about social media means by which a conversation might be held? Uh, yes, there are several. Uh, you could first and foremost email us, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Uh, check us out there. Email us your long form comments. We'll read those on the air, whether you like us or not. Uh, secondly, uh, you could also connect with us while you're on Google emailing us. You could check us out on Google+. Plus. Uh, go over there, like our page. We've had several uh, likes and views over there, so continue to support us there because it's cool. Uh, and finally, you can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash good trash genre cast. One word. Uh, got a little bit of feedback coming in this week. Uh, Masters jumped on the hashtag you pick the trash train, uh, choosing, uh, suggesting that we look at um, 2014's Jake Gyllenhaal led Night Crawler. Mm-hmm. I think that should happen down the road because it gives me an excuse to watch it. I would love to do Likewise, that. Likewise, let's do. Movie's good. It'll be a good episode. Also, April uh, writes in about Moon. Saying, oh guys, what an outstanding pick. I freaking love this movie and think it was so oddly underrated. It is maybe my favorite space movie of the century. Uh, Maybe a better one isn't immediately coming to mind. And I happen to be in the camp that loved Gravity too. Seriously, I recommend this movie to anyone about whom I care. I'd watch Sam Rockwell in practically anything nonstop. He's so bomb. Hopefully, Hey, Hey, April, ditto. I have watched so many things just because Sam Rockwell was in them. Lawn dogs, for instance. Hopefully you don't ha- all hate it now that I've gushed about it uncomfortably long time. <laughs> that would be awkward. <laughs> Smiley face emoticon. Thank you, April. Hey, that makes sense because I'm thinking of Gertie. Gertie has smiley face emoticon. Oh, hey. That's yes. appropriate. Yeah. Yes, very appropriate. Also, on a uh, thread over on the Facebook, uh, Elizabeth Collins, one of our fans and followers who Dustin interacted with at the Southwest PCA, uh, commented saying that uh, my friend Dustin Sells podcast, the Good Trash Genre Cast, covered I, Frankenstein, pretty hilariously. Uh, I have still not seen it. I know for shame. Uh, So thank you, Elizabeth, for that shout out and spreading the Good Trash gospel all over Facebook for us. And that's what we have coming in from the Facey Facebook, Mr. Sells. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, do you know anything else about social media means by which conversations might be held? Beneath this social media account, there is more than flesh. Beneath this account, there are tweets, Mr. Sells, and tweets are bulletproof. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find the Good Trash Genre Cast on Twitter at good underscore trash. We don't have too entirely much feedback coming in this week. Uh, speaking of comic books, though, Caleb Vesely had the good fortune to see Neil Gaiman talk live, uh, and he let us know that, and I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, so that's fun. Did Caleb listen to the uh, Tucker and Dale episode yet? Uh, I don't know. Hey, Vesely, did you listen to that fucking episode we did for you? 
All for you? <laughs> all for all you, for you. All for you. <laughs> it's all your fault, Caleb. We suck it, Vesley. We did it all for you. Arthur did a little bit of whoring this week and uh, was trying to encourage uh, internet sites to uh, check out our uh, check out and review our podcast. Uh, he actually got one bite of his bait uh, from at your underscore L for late ladyship, but a four instead of an A. Um, Arthur, who, who is that? Uh, she is an editorial assistant writer for IndieWire, I believe. Oh, wow. Well, she said, hey, I don't review podcasts, but this seems cool, so I'll check it out. And that was nice. Caleb Masters wrote in this week uh, saying his beer tonight was brought to him by the Good Trash Genre Cast and showed some pictures of his uh, custom Good Trash Genre Cast um, drinking vessel that all uh, co-hosts of the show have, courtesy of Mr. Gordon and his lovely wife, Keisha. Um, Loyal listeners might remember that for a good, good stint, uh, Caleb Masters was a an unofficial co-host of sorts, a very frequent contributor to this show, um, and we miss him fondly. And uh, But that's what we've got coming in from the Twitter this week. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I really appreciate that feedback that you brought us from the Twitzy Twitter. You are the best. Let's move on now, as we've reached that point in the Dying show. Die in a fire, old man. <laughs> <laughs> it's not time for Fired Up yet, though. We're playing the game. In which we play the game. Time to play the game. This week's game is our favorite revolutionary characters from cinema. That's right. Favorite revolutionary characters from cinema. Brought to you by Viva Vendetta. Viva Vendetta. Guy Fawkes was a religious terrorist. The more you know. Well, let's begin that game with our selections for that. I ask you first, Miss Alexander Bohannon, what say you? I would say some of my favorite revolutionaries in film, in media, would be uh, Katniss Everdeen, an unintentional revolutionary. She didn't set out to change the world of Panem. Um, more so, in the, I do like the books more than I have the movies yet. I really need to give Catching Fire another shot. I just haven't finished that one yet. Um, and then I'd say my second um, revolutionary to do is Tyler Durden. I know his revolution is not the most positive one, but it is one of the most fun depictions of revolutions in film. And um, I do think that that message, you know, the clean slate and then all the buildings going down to the pixies is a really powerful image, especially in uh, film. Thank you very much for your brevity, Miss Alexandra Bohannon. I appreciate that very much. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? Well, all this talk about Revolution of Viva Vendetta made me think about Dustin's analysis uh, of The Matrix we did several months back, uh, talking about the the hope for a bloodless revolution, and, and that at the end of the day, despite the matrix, matrices violence, um, that the Wachowskis do seem to be advocating for a nonviolent revolution in a lot of ways. Yes. But the actual revolutionary that I want to pick is Morpheus. Uh, Neo is just kind of the fist of the revolution. Morpheus is a real revolutionary uh, in that film, and um, a lot of his scenes just carry so much weight, and that's because Lawrence Fishburne is such a damn good actor and um, really powerful stuff and says a lot of things that make you – that are moving and thought-provoking, and I find that uh, – infinitely valuable. I also want to shout out uh, Julianne Moore's character in Children of Men, um, who is the revolutionary character in that. I mean, Clive Owen's just kind of caught in the crossfire, 
But Julianne Moore uh, is really a great character in that film, and I, I really was fascinated by the relationship. And Children of Men is just so good. I'm so glad Arthur talked about it tonight. Uh, finally, um, I think one of my favorite revolutionaries is Kirk Douglas as Spartacus in the titular Spartacus by... Wait, wait, wait. I'm Spartacus. No, I am Spartacus. No, I'm Spartacus. And Alex is not Spartacus. Nope. I just got a, I just got a, just got a cheeky head nod. Uh, but yeah, you should definitely check out that early... Just kidding, I am Spartacus. <laughs> <laughs> but you should definitely check out that early Stanley Kubrick film, which uh, is really probably his most studio film that he ever made, but is so good. Um, really, really like that movie a whole, whole lot. Um, I haven't seen it in years, but I, it's got a soft spot in my heart. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what are your picks? Uh, I would start out... Uh, with uh, Hugh Jackman as Jean Valjean in Les Mis in the third act of the film. You did not. I did. Go ahead. Uh, secondly, I would say Jack Nicholson as R.P. McMurphy in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Good pig. The revolution against... Uh, Ratchet. Nurse Ratchet. Nurse Thank Ratchet. You. My mind is going quicker than Dustin's. Uh, thirdly, I would say David Straithair as Edward R. Murrow in Good Night and Good Luck. A uh, personal favorite film of mine, and uh, he does a very good job there. And finally, I would suggest Malcolm McDowell as Mick in Lindsay Anderson's If. I have a couple picks. And first of all, also from Les Mis, since you've already gone ahead and selected uh, Jean Valjean, I will go ahead and uh, recommend to you all Aaron Tivet's character and Jorlis, um, who is the, uh, the pretty revolutionary, not Eddie Redmayne's character in Les Mis. We don't like Eddie Redmayne here at this point. No, podcast. we don't. And Marius is not that great of a character in the film either, so there's that. But um, uh, but you I, can see him do a sweet Gary Oldman impression in Jupiter Ascending. And I'm also going to recommend Gary Cooper because he is fighting fascists as a communist in the studio system in the 1940s in a film called uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls, in which he is joined by one Ingrid Bergman. Oh, cool. Who plays Rabbit. And it's fantastic. And it is a novel and a film that I, I wept and wept and wept when I read and I find them to be interesting, failed revolutionary characters. Interesting. Thank you very much, dear co-hosts, for all your selections. Dear listener, we'd love to hear your picks on our Facebook, on our Twitter, on the various and sundry other means of social media by which we may be contacted, and we would love to hear all of that from you all in the future. But enough of this gameplay. Let us move on and conclude the show as we always do with what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. Hey, Dalton. Yeah? You fired up this week? Not really. As I just alluded to in our game, I got to catch up with the Wachowskis. Uh, Wachowski-heavy week uh, for you today, listener. Um, I got to catch up with Jupiter Ascending, and um, I <laughs> liked it a lot. And I don't understand why more people don't adore it, because there is just something fabulous about it. Probably because nobody's seen it. Yeah, also that. Uh, you do get to see uh, Academy Award winner Ed- Eddie Redmayne talk like this a whole lot, and then go up here, which is why I said it's a Gary Oldman impression. But is he in a wheelchair? No. That's what wins awards. That's exactly what wins awards, getting a wheelchair. That was pathetic. Tell your wife to come over to my place if she wants a little The best way to sum up how I feel about this film is um, Gavia Baker-Whitlaw uh, of The Daily Dot said, 
that um, Jupiter Ascending is dumb and weird and beautiful, and it wants you to be happy. And I think that perfectly sums up that film. It is, it's a mess. It is a kind of a cluster of a film, but it is just such a delight, and I couldn't more strongly recommend it. Miss Alexander Bohannon, are you fired up this week? Uh, mildly so, yeah. Um, I can have continued to watch uh, Better Call Saul with Heath, and we just finished episode six, or is it five? Five, no, I think it was six last night, where we learned more about Mike's backstory. It's very interesting. It was almost 100, hey, listen to me, Stuart. It was almost 100% like Mike-centric. There was only one scene that had Bob and Kurt in the entire episode, and it was maybe five minutes long. So it was all Mike. Wow. We follow him around, and we learn like this crazy bit of stuff about why he came to Albuquerque and... um shady stuff we learned some shady stuff about mike and it's really really you got to get that far buddy yeah i i really i've only seen the first two episodes of the show and you i can really watch them it. on all these shady like international streaming sites i'm watching it with my little sister yeah so it's just it's you good. know scheduling thing no i understand because that's the show heath and i watch together so you you know i okay here's another thing i'm really sad about in pop culture how our society has really shifted to this like whole binge watching mentality. One time I was in class and I was talking about how about binge watching and everyone started berating me for like in a joking manner about how I'm like a, a binge watching noob. Cause I was like, yeah, I mean, I spent like four hours watching Gilmore girls and that seems like a lot to me. They're like, Oh my gosh, that's, that's not a binge watch. What are you just some kind of binge watching noob, blah, blah, blah. And and it, it's really interesting how this binge-watching phenomenon is like a badge of honor. And it's, keep in mind, folks, that binge, while it is okay to binge-watch, it's totally fine. Consider the fact that the word binge is not necessarily a healthy word. It is, the the word means an overindulgence in X. So that was a, a short little caveat to say, I enjoy shows on this traditional model of I can only see this show once a week. There's only episodes out once a week and I have to wait to see those. And I'm also waiting for a specific person to watch them with. And I'm kind of enjoying that. Well, upon your story just then, I rescind all analysis I've ever given towards revolution. There is no hope. Thank you <laughs> for that information. Miss Alexander Bohannon. Wow. Wow. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, um, totally rain on your revolutionary parade. The other thing that I'm more fired up about is my, I was unable to go see Neil Gaiman talk. I had tickets to see him speak. Um, he spoke at my father's university and then he went and spoke in Tulsa the next day. I couldn't see that talk cause I was getting a final, a midterm and I had to go to class that night. Um, but my mom got me a signed copy of Coraline. That is really is cool. Made out to me. So it's really neat. I'll show you a picture of it. And it has like, he drew one of the rats in it, and it's really cool. That's neat. That's lovely. I know. It apparently, is really good. A really good. Uh, he's a really good speaker, so that's really nice. So. Well, thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohannon. Mr. Arthur Gordon, are you fired up this week? Uh, Miles Simmer, uh, trying to catch up with some movies on the Netflix uh, in some downtime, and so I watched a little indie horror film called Honeymoon, uh, which was quite interesting and was maybe a little. Uh, Smarter for its Bridgets than it really was. However, it, it did some really interesting things. Uh, very beautifully shot. And uh, does some 
very uh, interesting things. And so, you know, if you're bored, check it out. It's only an hour and a half or so uh, if you're into that kind of thing. Also, I went back and finally got to see uh, Wes Anderson's Bottle Rocket, his first film proper. It's a good movie. It is a very interesting movie. It's really interesting uh, to go back and watch it after seeing his most recent works in the last few years of his career. Uh, to see all of those little ideas and nuggets at work early on and to see him toying with the things that he would go on to perfect and uh, that would kind of define his aesthetic career. And so that was kind of very interesting to see uh, play out uh, on Bottle Rocket. So go check that out if you get a chance. It's an interesting take on the heist film. It's uh, pretty quirky and fun. It's very Anderson in its writing and characters. And so check it out if you get a chance. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I have a very personal thing about which I am fired up this week. Um, we had a special guest lecture. I'm doing a Ph.D. in screen studies at Oklahoma State University. And uh, Hunter Vaughn, who's something of a rock star in uh, the discipline, was there to give a lecture. And the night before, uh, he uh, hung out with the entire department at a local uh, establishment. And I played shuffleboard with Hunter Vaughn for about three hours. Uh, which is pretty cool. He wrote he wrote uh, film and philosophy, or rather, where film meets philosophy. Uh, his lecture is about his upcoming book, uh, five five hundred thousand kilowatts of stardust, which is about a theory called eco uh, film criticism, which is about sort of the uh, ecological impact of filmmaking. And uh, again, he's he, he's a big deal in film studies. Uh, not something maybe a whole lot of people know a lot about, but in the discipline in which I participate, which is sort of uh, the parent discipline of this show, he's a big deal. And uh, he's a very, very nice person and really good at shuffleboard, and I'm not. And uh, we were on a team. We lost a great many times. Did but you, did, you whore, did you whore the show out? Oh, yeah. I had, uh, yeah, absolutely I did. I'm proud of you. And so uh, that's that's all you know stuff that went on uh, with that. Also, I got a chance to catch the uh, Academy Award winner for Best Animated Film, Big Hero 6, and it's a sweet movie. I cried. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched it with all three of my children. We all cried. We were in a big Aww. wet pile of just sobby tears, and it's moving. It's not the best picture that was animated of 2014. However, it's real good, and it's definitely worth your time, and I guess Marvel finally now has an Academy Award. Maybe they'll stop now. So that's all I have to say about all of that. I just, again, Dustin, I really want to thank you for um, pimping us out. Well, let's move on and conclude the show and let you know, dear listener, about what we're going to look at next week. Next week, we're going to look at a pick from Miss Kirsten Thurkelston. We're going to look at Jennifer's body, and Miss Thurkelson might make a guest appearance on that show in which we bring analysis. So take a look at that and take a look at any movie and think about it and have a conversation with somebody because that's what makes watching the movies so valuable. And until then, we'll see you next time. <laughs> Ideas that are driving me insane. 